You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. Well, good morning, everybody. Once again, great to have you. Uh, so good. I know many of you are out and about through Thanksgiving weekends. It's always, you just never know who's going to show up on a Thanksgiving weekend. This is kind of the nature of ministry. But so good to have you here this morning. We are, as Ryan said, in the book of Hebrews this morning. This is uh, one of those books I was really looking forward to getting into and, and being around. And, and uh, this is it. I'm, I'm excited that it's here finally today. And so we're going to be preaching through Hebrews probably for about a year and a half or that around there in a ways. And, and we're into chapter 1 this morning, verses 1 and 2, the first sentence of Hebrews. So what would you please rise with me if you are able. And we're going to read through these first two verses uh, to open us up this morning. So you can see on the screen, it says this, read along with me. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. This is the word of God. Awesome. Let's uh, let's pray one more time and then we'll jump in. Uh, Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that uh, we can... We can be trained, we can be uh, reproved, we can be exhorted, we can be encouraged, we can be all kinds of things out of your word, Lord. And I just pray that as we study this amazing book that you've given us, um, that, uh, Lord, that we'll pull out the truths of Scripture, that we'll pull out the truths of who you are, who we are, and what is your purpose for us. And and I I pray, Jesus, that as we walk through these amazing texts this morning, and the uh, text to come, as long as you delay, Lord, that, that our, our love for you will only grow. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, you can grab a seat. Like I said, we're in the book of Hebrews this morning. Uh, one that I've, like I said, very excited about getting into. So uh, I encourage you to read through this book uh, as we go through uh, the sermon series, if not through it multiple times. But uh, it will be, I know it will be an encouragement to you as well. But this is a book of, of the Bible that will actually take us back to the beginnings. And then back to the present. And then share kind of everything in between. But it's also a book that actually is going to encourage us to connect some dots that maybe we haven't seen before through the grand meta narrative story of the Scripture. And so we're actually going to connect some dots here and actually see Jesus in a, in a maybe new light that you've never seen him before. And I'm encouraged by this. And, and it's been so fun actually to be studying this over these last couple months, prepping for this sermon series. But this book is meant to exhort us. It's meant to encourage us. It's meant to uh, make sure that, again, that we walk closely uh, with Jesus, knowing who he is, knowing that he is the Lord, that he is the creator, he is the priest, and he is the king. And so my encouragement to you is that as we read this, that it's only going to grow you. But when you read through the book of Hebrews, you will eventually come to Hebrews chapter 13. And you're probably going, Jared, what in the world, man? We just started in chapter 1. Now you're jumping all the way to the last chapter. But, but it's really important to read through the whole book to get a good idea of what is going on. But I want to point out chapter 13, verse 22. And it says this, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. And many of you maybe are going, what in the world does exhortation mean? Exhortation simply is 
encouragement. Um, but it's more than that. That's why they use the word exhortation here. It's, it's actually meant to, and translated as, I really, 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 really encourage you. And so they come up with another word of exhortation. It's in a, it's in a really deep encouragement to read through this amazing letter. And this is why I'm writing you. Bear with my word of exhortation. Bear with it. Understand it. Take heed. Attach it to your life. So for some of us, this is one of those ways we need to actually, all of us, we need to read this amazing letter as an exhortation. So it's, un, it's, it's really important to read through that verse that we might, as a church body, read this to us as well as an exhortation, as a really, really encourage you to attach these truths to your life and understand these amazing things that we're going to discover. I'm going to take you back actually one paragraph before that, the, verse, the next two verses, verses 20 and 21, we actually see the benediction. The benediction is, is a final statement, almost like a thesis at the end of the book. It's, a, it's a, what we've kind of discovered all the way through from chapter 1 all the way to 13. And I'm giving you this to give you a little bit of background. So this is the benediction that the author gives us. And this is some of the things that we're going to learn about who our God is. We're going to learn about what this book is actually writing about. It says this, Now may the God of peace, the God of peace. This tells us now that in the book of Hebrews, we're going to learn about characteristics of who God is. And he is the God of peace. And it shouldn't shock us that, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Like he is personified as love. He is love. He is joy. He is peace. And what God Man, you would want to follow that God that personifies these things, these character traits. And now, now may the God of peace, and what did he do? Well, he who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. We're going to learn much about Jesus. And this is a foreshadow or a put back, anyways, to the, maybe even the book of Romans, where Paul unpacks Romans 10, 9, and 10, where we're going to talk about this actually next week at our, the waters of baptism. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you believe that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. And this is a point back to the gospel. Already here in this book, we see the gospel laying out. Now may the God of peace, the one you need to seek comfort in, the true peacemaker who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, he's the one that saves you. And who is this Jesus? Well, that's the next line, the great shepherd of the sheep. And again, this points back to what? Like, and this is what we're going to see in Hebrews, the pointing back, back and forth. And this is pointing back, as you may be familiar with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me to what? Green pastures. He, he comforts me. He gives me this amazing peace. He not only leads me to green pastures, but he actually, actually is with me through the valleys of the shadow of death. He is with me at always. And he sets up a table for me. And so this is again pointing back. This is that shepherd. This is that Jesus. By the blood of the eternal covenant, the next line. So not only is the great shepherd, not only is he from death to life, but he is the one that has a blood, the blood covenant for us and sheds his blood on the cross for us. This is sharing the gospel all throughout. He is the one that is the ultimate fulfiller of all things. This is the eternal one, the one that actually lasts forever. 
that actually has been from the beginning, going back to our text, long ago. And he's to do what? Well, he's to equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Now, we need to slow down when we read that. Like, he's equipping you. He's giving you all that you need to do his will. That is sweet. That is sweet. He's asking you to do work for him, for his glory, for his namesake, and he's going to equip you with it. So this is our exhortation, our encouragement, our calling to be doers of the word, not on our power, but on his. And then he ends this amazing line with working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. So he's not only going to equip us, he's going to work in us, through us, that we might fulfill his will. This is who Jesus is. This is how amazing he is. This is what we will be studying for the next year and a bit. This is the benediction. This is what he's summarizing the chapters 1 through 13. See, one author I read in preparation opened C.S. Lewis's book. And one of the kids, Cruz, where are you, buddy? Cruz, man, you read, you're reading C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, right? And so this is a study that actually, when I was reading, studying on this, this amazing book, uh, the author that I was studying actually opened up talking about Chronicles of Narnia. Like the, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, maybe you're not, but there's seven books in this series. And when one of these books, in all of them actually, the greatest, the greatest person, the greatest character in this story is Aslan. Aslan, the great lion. And everybody's freaked out about this lion, but also they love him. But they're scared. So Aslan is the greatest character in this story. It's all a point to actually Jesus. And then there's another story. There's another character in this story. It's a little girl that stumbled into the lands of Narnia, and her name is Lucy. And in my studies, I came across this little story. And it's the scene where it starts with Lucy ta- like going and seeing Aslan again, seeing this great lion again. She's already seen him. She's been involved in his, in his life and what he's doing and then she sees him again. She gets, stumbles back into the land of Narnia again. And this is the scene. The scene starts with Lucy rushing to Aslan, this great lion, burying her face in the rich silkiness of his mane, whereupon the great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell, half sitting and half lying between his front paws. He bent forward and touched her nose with his tongue, His warm breath was all around her. She gazed up into the large, wise face. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one. Not because you are. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Friends, church, This is what Hebrews, by God's grace, is going to do. That one author said, the expanding souls encounter an expanding Christ. So as you grow in your knowledge and understanding of Jesus, he's only going to look bigger and bigger and bigger as you get older and as you study his amazing word. So my prayer this week for you, church, has been that we would settle, we would sit and nuzzle into the beautiful throne of God, the great shepherd, the Lord, the creator, the priest, and the king, that we will lean heavily on him. So today we're going to hit intro to Hebrews for a little bit of an outline for you. Then we're going to hit Jesus speaks, and then what do we do with this? 
All right, so I've already been touching in a little bit on the intro, but we're going to go a little bit further. Uh, Kids, let me speak to you for a second. Kids, have you ever received mail before? Yes, you understand that there's a sender and a recipient of mail. That if you've received it, you're the recipient. All right, makes sense. If you're the sender, you're the one that throws it in the mailbox. There's something called an iPhone. You shouldn't have one of these. You should probably get one of these when you're a lot older. That's good. That's good. That's good. This is what I love about church, talking to kids. They interact with you. Adults just sit there and look at you all weird. And so it's like, so it's like man, sometimes there's a sender on a text message. You've maybe you've seen this with your mom or dad, right? There's a sender and you get a text, you get a message. Well, so which is more important, the sender or the message? Mm, interesting, right? It kind of depends, right? Like it, sometimes the sender is, right? Like if I'm sending you a message, very important because this is coming from Pastor Jer, right? That's a, because you know me, you understand, like, hey, I recognize who that is. So that sender is actually really important. I'm going to read that message. But what if you get a message from like the government or from someone you have no idea who, who it is, maybe a neighbor that you've never met before, then you're going to, then you're, then you're going to, then you're going to kind of go, ah, oh, man. I want, to, I want to take note of this message, but it's not going to be very important because of the, maybe the sender. All right, let me give you, let me give you a little bit, let me give you a little analogy, all right? little analogy, okay? Someone that you don't know, someone you have no idea, and they give you a message like, hey, you might want to listen to my message to you. And you're going, ah, oh, well, I don't really know you, so I'm going to kind of, I don't know if I really should listen fully to it, but I'm going to listen to what the message is. And they go, well, you might want to take note of this because your backpack is on fire and you might want to take it off. Right? That's an important message you might want to listen to, right? Even though you don't know the sender. Now, here's the point, right? That was a long story. Here's the point. Here's the point. We don't know who the sender of Hebrews is. We don't know. We don't know the author. But we do know that the message is really important. So even though we don't know the sender of it, the message is incredibly important. So it kind of depends who the sender is and who the message is, what the message is. Just like if your backpack is on fire, no matter who sends you that message, that's an important message, right? And so Hebrews is that. And so we don't know the author, but we know that the truth is. And what we do know in all of Scripture that we need to take consideration to, there's one really, really cool verse, and it's 2 Timothy 3.16, and it says God breathed out all of Scripture. All of Scripture is God breathed. So this is a really important Scripture to understand and to memorize. 2 Timothy 3.16, it's one of those really important ones to see. So if that is the case then all of the scripture is actually sent by God, so therefore very important to listen to. We also see in John chapter 1, 1, so in multiple places we're seeing the same thing. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So therefore the word that we have before us is incredibly important. It's incredibly important. So what these two sections of scripture are saying at the is that the, even the books that we have from, whether it be Apostle Paul or Matthew or Jeremiah or Moses' writings, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, Moses' writings, they're all ultimately written by God for us. 
breathed out, penned by man, but breathed out through the Holy Spirit. That means anything that the Bible talks of is perfectly true. It's inerrant. It's infallible. So whenever the Bible talks about something, a topic on something, it is telling you truth. That's why it's so important to to understand and read this amazing book. So with that said, like I said, there is no note about the author. With all the debate on who this person was, the majority do agree that this author was most likely around, uh, written around AD 60, so 60 years after Jesus rose from the dead, and most likely a theologian when it comes to the Greek Old Testament because he constantly is pointing back to the Old Testament. That's why he's opened up with saying, this is going to take you back to the beginning and back to the present and everywhere in between. He's a wise man that told us about a lot of the things of the Old Testament is connecting the dots for us in this amazing book. The recipients now, the ones that receive this letter, we understand them possibly to be Jewish, most likely Jewish Christians. Jewish Christians, again, like in, the, in year 60 A.D., about 60 years after Jesus rose from the dead, they received this letter as a church, like maybe of a small church community like ours. And they received this letter, and most likely living in Italy around Rome. And around that time, you have Nero, right? Nero was the one that actually burned all of Rome down and blamed the Christians. So we understand that at the beginning of the church outset, we have the scattered of the church because there's a lot of persecution going on. And so these people went through some persecution, and maybe settled into a church, maybe found some comfort, maybe started to relax, and then all of a sudden in this time there's greater persecution on the church. And so these Christians were afraid of the government, afraid of standing for their faith, afraid of what might be coming next, afraid for their property, afraid for their lives. And the exhortation, this really, really, really encouraging letter, was to, for them to keep on keeping on. And I say all of this, because of hints like in verse 13 or chapter 13, verse 24, we see the greeting, which oftentimes in the letters uh, that the apostles wrote, you see a greeting at the end of the letter. And this greeting says, greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings. That's why I say it's most likely in a part of Italy, most likely around Rome, because these disciples that are with the apostle penning this letter are sending a greeting back to their homeland. Also, we see the persecution, the possible persecution that they took place long ago. And in chapter 10, verse 32 and 34, it says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle. So after you became a Christian, after you were enlightened to the good news of Jesus, his salvation for you through his life, death, and resurrection, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes actually being partners with those so treated for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So these people have gone through some stuff. They've gone through some persecution and again this exhortation is an encouragement to them to continue on. And this is who the author is writing to. Aren't you getting excited about what this book has for us? There's so much here. But the biggest main point that I want to point out right at the get-go, and we're going to talk about it next week a lot, is the supremacy of Christ. This is the central point of the book of Hebrews, is the supremacy of Jesus. 
So let's look now at the second point of our outline this morning, and that's Jesus Speaks. So that's a little bit of the intro. I'd love to spend about three Sundays on the intro, but that's all you're going to get from me. I can, I can point out some resources if you're interested to, to read some more. But Jesus Speaks is the second point, and communication is a big deal, right? Communication is a big deal. Have you kids, adults, ever played charades? Thank you for answering adults. So charades, yes, we've played charades. Let's practice some already. Okay, this is going to be fun church. All right, we've got the kids with us today. All right, so you guess what this is, all right? Ready? Thank you. You guys are great at this. All right, what's this? You guys are phenomenal. Last one? Baseball, nice. It took two actions and you got those ones. You guys are phenomenal at this. Okay, you know, you've played charades, so you've had a time where you've played with a partner that sucked at acting, right? So let's try this one. Communication is incredible. That was a spider. Like... That was, that was the suckiest acting of a spider, right? So you get the fact that communication is much better when you speak it than just act it, right? We all can agree with that, right? Well, that is the point here. So look again at our text for this morning in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So there is a ton in this opening sentence. And so to break it down for one Sunday morning is incredibly hard, but let's do our best. But let me point out a few things to get us excited about this amazing letter. The opening statement of any letter is incredibly important. This is the opening statement. So Jody and I dated, I've told you this before, but we dated, uh, a lot of our dating time was long distance. So we didn't have a cell phone, like in the sense of FaceTime and all that kind of stuff. So we actually had to write letters. My opening letter, my opening statement, most often in the letters to Jody was, Dear Jody, I love you. I miss you. I can't wait to see you again. That was oftentimes an opening statement. This is what we're seeing here in Hebrews. Now here, the author of Hebrews is throwing us all the way back to the beginning of the scriptures in Genesis 1.1, when he says, long ago. Now take a look at Genesis 1.1 and Hebrews 1.1 on the screen there. You see the two side by side. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. And then in Genesis 1.1, you see, in the beginning, God spoke. Nothing before him. It was in the beginning there was God. And then in verse 3, he starts speaking for the next six days, speaking creation into existence. And the beauty of this, this small little house church somewhere around Rome, 60 years after Jesus rose from the dead, were given a love letter pointing back to the God who speaks. The remind, this is, again, exhortation. Really important to why this letter is written. It's an exhortation. Really, really encourage you. God speaks. He loves you. He wants to remind you of this amazing message. He loves you. He cares for you. He's spoken to you. Do you remember this? 
So he has spoken through his prophets, Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Elijah, Amos, Hosea, Daniel, and many, many more. He has spoken through the prophets, but he's also spoken in many ways, it says. In many ways. See, one way he speaks is through his creation. We've covered this verse before, but Romans 1.20. Romans 1, if you can nail that down, you're pretty good. But Romans 1.20 says this, For his invisible attributes... Namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So we have no excuse when you see the mountains, the trees, the ocean, the sun, the moon, everything in order. And God in our text is Jesus is the creator of it. And then you see Psalm 19, 1 through 4, saying the same thing just in a different way. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. You see a creation, there must be a creator. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And then a powerful one in Job 26, 14. There's there's endless verses here, but Job 26, 14. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? Our God is holy, holy, powerful, holy, awesome. And he's only getting bigger. I was reading through, um, I'm currently in Deuteronomy. That's why my Bible's flipped to here. But I'm currently in this amazing book, Deuteronomy. In chapter four, you come across this amazing verse. And it's Moses retelling the story of this exodus from, from Egypt. And I'm sharing this because we're going to talk a lot about priesthood throughout this book of Hebrews. But in Deuteronomy 4, you see this amazing text. It says this. And those, this is Moses taking the people out of Israel. Egypt, sorry. The people of Israel taken out of Egypt. And you, they come to the mountain and it's covered in fire. And this is what it says. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And as I'm reading my devotions, this verse keeps coming, getting point back to. Like Moses is making a, a point here. Don't forget what you saw in the desert. Don't forget. You heard it. You heard a clear voice coming from the fire. You have no excuse. And it says it again in 433, 436, 5 verse 4, 523 through 26, 10 verse 4, and I'm in chapter 16-ish right now, and I'm just waiting for it to come up again. But let me read to you one massive part in 523 to 26 really quickly. It says this, And as soon as you heard the voice of the, out of the midst of the darkness... Well, the mountain was burning with fire. Now, kids, try and figure this out, man. You've got a mountain, and there's just fire all over this mountain. You came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now, therefore, why should we die? 
for this great fire will consume us. If, if we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and has still lived? Friends, we have the word of God, and I think I've established that here in this book. All scripture is God-breathed. When you read stuff like this in the Old Testament, that the words of God, the people hear it and are shocked that they're still living, how important do you hold this? Like, do you revere this word? Like, like this Bible is incredibly important. It's God's voice to us. See, the way God spoke are many, it says in our text. He spoke to Moses through fire, thunder, and lightning with a voice of a trumpet. God whispered to Elijah. God spoke by way of visions and dreams to Ezekiel and Daniel. God appeared in human form to Abraham, to Jacob, the very first UFC fight, right? I'm not sure if you men like UFC, but it's biblical, Right? The angel of God showed up to Jacob and they set up a ring and they had a massive wrestling match and Jacob was like not letting go of this angel of God until he was blessed and God just messes with his hip, right? Pops his hip and then blesses him and changes his name from Jacob to Israel. See, we see direct oracles, questions and answers, bizarre symbolic acts, sermons, and mysterious signs. There, there are so many ways that God has spoken. Kent Hughes, pastor and theologian, said it this way, the significance of this immensely creative and variegated communication is that it dramatically demonstrated God's loving desire to communicate with his people. It was never boring never inscrutable, never irrelevant. It was always adequate for the time. It was always progressive, revealing more of God in his ways. It was always in continuity with the previous words of God. He never contradicts himself. And it's lasted for 2,000 years and will last until he returns. See, playing charades earlier showed disorder when there was no communication. Right? You, you, there's no way you would have got spider out of that brutal communication of acting. And it shows disorder. But when speaking happens, order takes place. When speaking happens, order takes place. This is clarity. And God spoke the world into existence. This means there was order. And it's undisputable. It's undisputable order when God speaks things into existence. Let me give you an example that no atheist can actually shut down. Uh, Rue, why don't you come on up here, bud? And you guys, you boys can come up here too. You just stand right here. That's fine. Come up to the front. Nice. You guys can come up and check his action. I've got 10 dimes here. All right, so 10 dimes. They all have a number on them. All right, you guys can help me make sure the numbers are showing. So we got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. All right. No, that's a six. You know, you turn it upside down. It's a good question, though. Well, whatever, what are we missing here? That one's rubbed off a little bit. I think that might be number three. And I see an American dime in there, so that one's, uh, you want to keep on that one, right? So put, that, put those in your pocket. Put those in your pocket. Mix them up. They're kind of mixed already. 
So this is showing perfect order. So you have a one in ten chance. All right, we're going to play a little game here. You pull out number one out of your pocket. Just one dime, and it has to be number one. You got a one in ten chance. Which one is it? Seven. Seven. Failure. (laughs) This is how I play games in my house. All right. You suck. All right. Just kidding, buddy. All right. Put it back in your pocket. Put it back in your pocket. Okay. You got to have all of them. Just wait. Just wait. Get your hand out of his pocket, man. That's weird. That's creepy. All right. So you got all 10 in there again. Okay. Let's pretend you pulled number one out. Now you're supposed to pull out number two. Now to do this, it's a one in a hundred chance that you're going to do this. We're already pretending you did the first one right. Okay, pull out next one. What is this? What number is it? Number 10, failure. All right, you're not very good at this game. All right, so put it back in your pocket. Let's pretend you pulled out number one, then you pulled out number two. Now we're going to pull out number three. This is one in a thousand chance that you could do this. All right, see, what's the next one? Fourth, close, so close, man. All right, put that in the pocket. You can keep that and you guys can go sit down. You got a dollar in your, you can buy me something for Christmas. All right, so if you did that, friends, listen to this, Rue. If you did one, two, three, four, all the way to 10, it's a one in a billion chance. One in a billion that you do one through 10 perfectly out of your pocket. The chances of nothing plus nothing Equaling something, uh, e- equaling something is impossible without God. God spoke order into our creation. That's why when we look around creation, it expresses, it glorifies him always. We have no excuse but to believe in an almighty creator God. So God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. He's, God speaks in many ways and God speaks creation into existence and this leads us to how God speaks today. Now he speaks through his son, excuse me, his son Jesus. This verse is the central point of this letter. That Jesus is the main character. He's the Aslan of the Bible. Right? He is the central point. Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who speaks, the creator, the sustainer of all things. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Colossians 1, 16 through 20. You can see it on the screen there. It reads this, For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything Jesus might be preeminent. For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Amen to that. It's all Jesus. His supremacy is everywhere. It's in creation. It's in how he spoke things into existence and how he spoke through the prophets. Never, like, never would a prophet that missed on a prophecy, that person would be dead because he would proclaim as God's word and it didn't come true, then it's not true. And we have a lot of people proclaiming to be prophets here in this day and age, which is really unfortunate. See, Jesus speaks, and when he speaks, it's true. Hebrews 1, 1 to 2, again says long ago, and kids, memorize this for next week. Adults, I encourage you to do the same. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God 
spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So what do we do with this? What do we do with all this stuff? Just the beginning of Hebrews. My encouragement is that you would surrender to him. That you would see the word, the voice of God in these 66 books and actually revere it as if it is his words. That we would study it, devour it, desire it, be encouraged by it. Allow it to exhort you, to encourage you. Allow it to admonish you. Because it is the authority that we hold here in the church, but also we ought to hold as Christians in our lives. So I encourage you, surrender to him. Believe upon him for salvation. He is your only hope. He's the only way, the truth and the life is through Jesus. So we want to, as followers of Jesus, confess our sin, knowing that in our first John study that he is faithful and just and will forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is our Jesus. This is our creator. He is all love. He is all joy. He is all peace. He is the great shepherd that we can lean on. Let's live for him. Uh, Ryan, you can come up. Ben, you can come on up. Let me close with this. I usually close after this after I pray, but I want to do something different I was challenged with uh, actually this week. Um, as you know, you, many of you are a part of the shore here, but Many of you know we want to respond to God's word, God's voice, not my voice, God's voice, uh, with four ways. We want to respond by way of prayer. We want to respond by confessing our sin to one another, being faithful, encouraging, exhorting one another in this. And sometimes it just takes someone to lead it by offering confession of sin to you. And now I'll encourage you to do the same. So we want to pray. We also want to give. We want to understand that everything that Jesus has given us, that we want to give back to him. We want to support him and and live for him. We want want to be guided by him. And this is why the action of giving is such a key part of being a follower of him. It's a recognition that everything that I need to rely on is him. And so this is giving. Uh, Another way is uh, through the action of um, singing. And so Ryan and, and Johnny are going to lead us in three more songs. And so we want to respond by, with our voices and we want to proclaim his goodness. That's why coming early is so good. And, and just want to encourage you again, exhort you in the sense of coming early and be with us together that we might sing together. And lastly, and this is where I was challenged on, is the table of grace. Oftentimes, um, I say, and I'm going to read the text. This is why I say it. But as a shepherd, as an elder here at the church, I want to guard the table. And what I mean by that is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'm guarding the table for the sake of you, for the sake of maybe the unbeliever, that maybe you'd be on a journey here. And I say, like, you're welcome to come to the table of grace, which bread and juice here at the shore. And you're welcome to come and partake if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've confessed your sin and believe upon for for salvation. But I leave it there. And the reason I leave it there is because of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 
verse 27 says, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. So the reason I'm reading this and and sharing this is because we need to guard the table. We need to guard it on our own self as well. We're called to examine our hearts. Am I in sin? Am I living in sin right now, currently? And that's why we have prayer couples. That's why we have, I'm saying, pray with someone. Confess your sin. Examine yourself before you come. But this is what I've been challenged on. To also invite you. Not just guard the table, but also invite you to it. So if you've not yet received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to receive him. To receive him. To believe upon him, the creator of all things, for your salvation. Like I have already quoted, Romans 10, 9, and 10, when you confess, and we're going to talk about this at the waters of baptism, but when you confess with your mouth and believe that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. So believe upon him now and then come. I invite you, come to the table. So this is what I was challenged on and I wanted to fulfill that. So let's live for him. Let me pray and then we'll sing. 